Thanks, Jeff. There was a wealthy man who wanted to own and run a vineyard. In fact, he was determined to have the best and the biggest vineyard in the land. And so he began with, he took over a small rundown little vineyard, and he began working on it to build it up into to something impressive. He spent years, each year he would try to add to it and make it better. And he built the, the, the structure for it and, um, and just patiently tried to do it. But the, the ground was very stony and it wasn't great soil. And so sometimes it produced some grapes and decent grapes, but oftentimes the, the, the crop was just not that good. And he got frustrated, but he was patient, and he continued to work with it. Next year, so it'll be better next year. I'll, the next crop will, will turn out better. And over time, he finally became so frustrated, he had enough. And he decided, this isn't working. He needed to start over. So he researched, like, where, where it is the best grapevine that I could have, especially for the soil that I have and, and the climate that we live in. And when he, he found that, he said, okay, I'm going to start new. So he burned down all the old vineyard. And he started again with a, a cutting, a, a new vine cutting that he had picked out on purpose. And with this new cutting, he began to, to build again this vineyard. And it started small, but it would, he would extend it out year after year as more and more of the vines would attach and grow. He wanted to make sure it all came from this one particular beginning that he had, this, this particular vine cutting. And it would become the basis for building the great vineyard. It would spur new branches. And in fact, He's still working to add to this, this vineyard. It's still in process. It's still not as big as he wants it to be. But every year, more and more branches get added. So I took a parable that's in the Bible we'll get to, and I, I altered it a little bit to, to, to talk about what I want to hit on today. And this morning, we are looking at John 15. And it talks about a, a vines and branches. And I want to explain something that's going on in a bigger picture. So that's, that's what that story I just told about. But John 15 is actually, it's a passage I encountered when I was a brand new Christian. I remember this is the first passage that my young life leader taught on after I'd become a new Christian. And I was talking with Nick this week about how this is the passage. I, I worked for Young Life. It's a parachurch group that works with teenagers. I worked for them for about 11 years. And whenever there was, you know, in Young Life, when we had a leadership training or you were talking about discipleship, the most common passage to go to was John 15, 1 to 11. Like we went, now Nick's experience was a little different with his group, but that, that with Young Life, we came down to this. And the point was always how vital it is that we stay relationally connected to, to Jesus, 
right? We are to remain in the vine. He's the vine, we're the branches. It's vital that we abide in him, we remain in him, that we, we seek him each day. So I've heard abundant lessons on how important it is to seek Christ each day, to have devotion times, to seek to stay in his word, to learn his teachings, because that's how we have a joyful and fruitful life, right? We have the joy of Christ, and we have a life that bears fruit, that makes a difference. So I think that's still a a core teaching of this passage. And I, we're going to get, come back to that and get there. But before I went with that route, I want us to hear some, in a sense, there's even more going on in this than that. There's, there's, when Jesus taught on this, he was tapping into something that, that we might not see offhand, but his disciples would have seen. So a, a teaching that adds greater depth. And so I want to talk about this passage in context of God's larger salvation plan. And so when Jesus taught this, his disciples would have immediately known he was referring to or building off of Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5 was a key passage in the Old Testament, and I'm going to read, read it to you. I want us to focus on this. It is on, if you got the sermon notes handout, and I always encourage you to do, do that, even if you don't want to fill in the blanks, you can still use it to, to kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about. But I want to read this passage and, and think about as I read it, like what connections do you see in what Jesus is talking about? So this is the prophet Isaiah chapter 5. It says, let me sing a song for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done it? When I looked for it to yield grapes... Why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I shall remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So, just to break this down, the vineyard it's talking about here was the the Old Testament people of God, the people of Israel. And at the time, they were split between the northern people of Israel and the southern people of Judah. But we could just think of them as, as, as Israel of the Old Testament. God had a had established Israel to be his people, and he loved them, he had chosen them, and this talks about how he had worked to build them up using this metaphor of a vineyard. They were his vineyard, and he wanted them to produce good grapes, right? That, 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 that he, and he tried to do everything he could to teach them his ways and, and, and engage them, but it says instead of good grapes, they produce just wild grapes, like small, not, not able of producing good wine. And it explains 
what that means. It says he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Right? That the, they, they would not produce the fruit that God was looking for. His goal that would be his people would know him and follow his ways. That they in, in turn would be a light for the nations. God was trying to use this Old Testament people of Israel. He picked one people that, that all nations on earth would eventually see what he's like. He, he blessed them in order to bless all peoples. But it only would work if they would live out his ways, live up to his teachings. But instead, you know, there were moments where they did. They, they may, might have a time or a good leader who helped them, but inevitably the corruption in their lives took over and they would sink back into to going a different way, to not living up. And talked about bloodshed and violence and mistreating the poor. And we, we could go on with a list if you read the Old Testament about the ways God saw that his people fail to live up to his teachings. And they failed not just once, but over and over again. The corruption always came back. And what we see in Isaiah and some of the other prophets is God said, enough. This isn't working. And God, instead, he withdrew his protection. That's what it's saying in verse 5. Now I will tell you what I'm going to do in my vineyard. I will take away its hedge. He will take away its protection and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. Foreign armies would conquer this people whom God had chosen. God would allow it. The Assyrians would conquer in the north. And then the Babylonians would later conquer the people in, the, in Judah, in that area. And it was all part of God's ultimate plan. In order to, for God to reveal himself to the nations, to, to bring about his great salvation plan, he had to allow his own people to be defeated, exiled, trampled. And then he began to, to work towards the, the ultimate plan. And the prophets, like Isaiah, began speaking about a Messiah. A Messiah who would do, as an individual, what his people as a whole could not do. A Messiah who would live up to God's character and bring God's rule to earth. That's the background for what Jesus says in, in 15.1, when he says, I am the true vine. He's saying he is that Messiah that is a, going to accomplish what Israel could not do. He's intentionally evoking the passage. And the disciples would have seen it right away. So for one thing, when he says, I am the true vine, the word for vine is the word ampelos in Greek, Right? In the, the vineyard, we have kind of a different word. In, in the, the Greek, it's just the plural of a vine, right? In, in the Greek version that does Isaiah 5, the vineyard is called ampeloni, just the plural of ampelos, right? So, so instead of having a plural vines, a vineyard, he's going to have one vine, one man, one son of God who would would accomplish this work. 
So while the people of Israel could not live up to God's righteousness and so could not fulfill God's plan, one man, Jesus the Messiah, would live up to that righteousness, would exhibit God's character, and he would be the true vine. So that's the, that's the, the context then of our passage. And we're talking about what is, what is God then working on? Jesus is that basis. What, what will he work on going forward? It says, I, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. It says vine dresser. Gar- gardener is probably a, a better a word that we, we use. So my father is the gardener. He's the one at work. In the Old Testament, the chosen people were based around the descendants of Abraham. But now God is going to be at work to build up a people based around Jesus. He will be the vine, and we will connect into him. Each of us individually connect into Jesus to build this larger and larger vineyard. Um, and, and so individually, any person now of all nations and peoples can, can choose to trust in Jesus, be connected into the vine, become part of God's people. It says we are to remain in him, remain connected to him. Um, the word, I think, is abide it's the same idea that, that we stay. Um, and Jesus is saying to his guys in this, you know, I know I'm leaving and going back to the Father, but, but I'm still going to be here with you through the Spirit. So remain in me and I will remain in you. Don't quit. Don't walk away. Trust me. Stick with me and I will stick with you. And, and if you do that, what will happen? If you stick with me, if you remain in me, you will bear fruit so that God is glorified, right? The very thing that the Old Testament people could not do. You know, in the Old Testament, God wanted his people to live righteously and bear fruit. He, he, his command at one point in them is in Leviticus, he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. Live, live out my character, but they couldn't do it. Neither can we on our own. We're no better than they were back then. We're not inherently better people than the ancient Israelites or Hebrews. The same inner corruption that is in them is in each and every person, each and every one of us. So how will this be different? Jesus says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. What does a vine give to its branches? It gives it what it needs to grow the proper fruit. We on our own could not do it. It says any, any branch that separates themselves from me, right? We, we, we're we're going to dry up. You will wither and dry and die because apart from me, We can do nothing. But if you remain in me, you will bear fruit because he will bear it through us. He he will import the qualities into our inner being. He shapes us from within so that we can live righteous lives, so that we can live up to God's holiness. And and I, I think the best description of what is the fruit that he wants to grow in our lives comes from Galatians 5. It's the fruits of the Holy Spirit. 
right? The, it, it says that the fruit of God's spirit working in us is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He has to give us that stuff. That's why it's non-negotiable that we have to be connected to the vine because on our own, that stuff's not in there, right? Or, or if it is, it's tainted by the corruption of selfishness and greed and everything else. And that's why it says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Without the vine giving the nutrients to the branch, the branch cannot grow any grapes. The branch in and of itself has no power to do it. Neither do we. Because we are normal, human, broken, sinful people. The corruption is in there. And we need God to begin to import righteousness into our inner being so that we learn to live a different way. So what is God working on? Well, what does a gardener do? In verse 2, it talks about my father is the gardener, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he, he takes it away. If, if, a, if, if a branch is not going to connect into the vine, he's going to clear it out of the, the thing. And so, so if there are people who are not tuning into Jesus but still, like, gather with the rest of the church, he's ultimately going to, they're going to find reasons to leave. It, it happens all the time, Right? But every branch that does bear fruit, every branch that is connected into Christ and, and trusting in him even when it's hard, every branch that does and that begins to bear fruit, it says he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. He brings spiritual renewal into our hearts. There's times when God will cut things out of our life that are keeping us from living faithfully for him. Things that do us damage that on our own we, we like to hold on to. There are, there are times our lives will be pruned by God our Father if we're, if we're tuning into Jesus. Um, all of us need that kind of spiritual renewal in our heart. All of us fall short in different ways. Um, but as we remain in Christ, it says that my, my Father prunes us. He says to the disciples, he says, you are already clean because of the word I spoke to you. The word in verse 2, prunes, and the word clean in verse 3 are the same exact word, right? It's the, the word clean, is, it, it translated prune. So, so the disciples had already started the process, right? Jesus, you've heard my word, you've heard my teachings. God has already started to, to prune you in your life. And now he's going to do it now for all God's people. As we engage the word, as we listen to God, as we worship together, God is doing a spiritual work within us. And his goal, verse 8, that we show ourselves to be his disciples. We, we bear this fruit, and it shows that we are his disciples. Um, in Romans 8, it talks about how we are, God made us to be conformed to the image of his son the image of Christ, that we have that same character that he does, right? That's, that's how we show that we're his disciples. And by this, our Father is glorified. If you bear much fruit, um, showing yourself to be his disciple. And so what would happen if we here at this congregation, 
if each of us is going through the spiritual renewal in our life and we are learning to, to, to love people more, we're learning to have the joy of Christ even through hard times, we're learning self-discipline and gentleness, we're, we're displaying faithfulness, all those qualities of the, the, the fruits of the Spirit, what would happen if that's what the people in our community saw when they encountered us in our day-to-day life? Would not the people in Glenville and Scotia and Schenectady and Burnt Hills, you know, if, if they saw followers of Jesus who were living out the character of Christ, even if imperfectly, but if that was what, what, what they saw, would not they be drawn in? Think about what fruit does, right? You, fruit, fruit, you bear fruit not just for yourself, you bear fruit for others to enjoy. But what does fruit contain? Seeds, right? So it contains seeds to, that could grow in someone else's life. Um, so that is what Jesus is talking about. That's the vision he's given to his disciples of what will happen and what did happen I mean, the vineyard has grown throughout the world and, you know, billions of people now name the name of Jesus. And it's still growing. Do you want to be a part of what God is working on? Do you want that to happen in your life? Do you want to engage with this? Um, I had a boss. Um, he was the divisional director when I was working for Young Life. And he says the first rule, he kind of had three rules, but I'm just, the first one was simply this. Jesus Christ is the most important thing we do. And, and that was his way of talking about what does it mean to remain in Christ? He says your first job, if you're going to work in this organization, your first job is Jesus Christ in your life. Remain connected. Remain in him. So I want to think about what does it mean for us to remain in him, to abide in him? And I don't know if that's even readable. I'm sorry for that slide. I tried to be clever. <laughs> it was what uh, PowerPoint suggested. So if you can't read it, well, it's on your uh, handout anyway. So five things I want to talk about. What does it mean to remain in him? I, I gave this a lot of thought this week. First of all, it means stick with Jesus, right? Don't quit when it gets hard. So to remain in him, he just means don't give up, right? Don't, don't give up following him. And, and remember, if the father is the gardener and he's pruning in our lives, he, that might mean he allows some difficult times to come. It's not all going to be, you know, our best life now and everything's going to be good and easy. He is pruning us to make us more fruitful. God is more concerned about our character than our comfort. Should I say that again? God is more concerned about our character than our comfort. I tend to be more concerned about my comfort than anything else. I go to great lengths to be comfortable. You know, I try to get the, the heat just right. You know, I, I do a lot of things because I don't, I don't like discomfort. I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's just me. But God is far more concerned about my heart 
attitudes in life? And am I learning to be, to love, joy, peace, patience? Is that growing in, in who I am? So, so number one, to remain in Christ is stick with Jesus. Number two is stay connected in his words. Uh, at one point it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, we can't, we got to keep spending time in his word and his teachings, learning it. There's always new things to learn from, from the word of God. Do you build time each day to be with your Lord? Do you mark out? Because I know, I know what it's like, right? Life hits you sometimes. And there's some days I wake up and boom, I, I don't, the time is already gone. Do you carve out time to get with God every day? We need to be in his word. Third thing, we stay connected in his word. We stay connected through his people. We individually connect to the vine, but that means we are part of a larger vineyard. And, and it, it, it shows itself in congregations. I, I, those who distance themselves from the body of Christ, who try to do it on their own, I believe are like the, the branches that wither and dry. And, and, and it's a dangerous place to be in. I'm, I'll, I'll be frank. I'm worried about the habits we build up over COVID that we've, we've distanced. And I, I know there's some at home watching this and I, I, I understand. I know there's anxiety about health concerns. There's worries. And I, I just say, I, I, need, I believe we need to come together. And I'm encouraging people to, to come together in person. Because I, I think the distance that we create with the, the, the computer leaves something missing. So, um, and I, I frankly am worried that not just here at East Glenville, but the larger church as a whole. We've trained people that, yeah, you can worship and, and be in your pajamas and drink coffee and, you know, I, I think we need to be the other. So I would encourage you um, not just to, to come for worship in person as you're able, but we're, we're, you know, the fellowship dinners on Wednesday night. It's a great time to meet people and have dinner together, join one of the studies. Or in a couple weeks, we're going to have a potluck dinner. Um, right after worship. Come to that. If you're new to East Glenville, join us for that. We want to get to know you. And that's how it happens is those kind of events. We are not meant to follow Jesus alone. So we need to be together. Fourth way to remain in Christ is stay connected by putting his teachings into practice. Verse 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. So we could study the Bible and be very hypothetical about it or very, you know, academic about it. Hmm, that's very interesting. And we could, we could dig into Revelation and talk about all the things that are going to happen and, you know, all that stuff. And truth me, I love it. I love digging into that kind of stuff. Um, one day I will talk about Revelation. I've, I've been asked. But um, anyways, so you're not, you're not ready for it yet. Um, but... But the truth is, we need to be studying this in a way that we learn to put it into practice. If it's not shaping how we live, we're not doing it right. So, not just studying the Bible as a hypothetical exercise, but learning out of love to obey him in every aspect of our life. 
Fifth way we remain in Christ, simply this, stay focused. The world we live in will offer us an endless amount of distractions that will pull us away from faithful discipleship, that will pull us away from from walking with Jesus and give us all kinds of other things to get worried about. And there are so many arenas that the world could, to, could do that in, whether it's sports, whether it's politics, you know, we can easily get worked up about something and miss out on where the Lord is leading us. Um, have you been drifting lately? Have you been losing your focus from him Do you still wake up every morning saying, Jesus, I am yours. I want to follow you today. Stay focused. What is the result of a life lived in connection with Jesus? One word, joy. Right? These things, Jesus ends this little section with this. These things I have spoken to you that you might have my joy. And my joy might be in you, right? That's one of the things we get from the vine as branches and that your joy may be full, may be filled up with joy. You can have millions of dollars in the bank and be miserable. Or you could be barely getting by, but waking up each morning with a joyful heart. I mean, which would you rather have? Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're still miserable, if, if money didn't take away your misery, what good is it? But if you have nothing, but every day you're like, God, I thank you, I'm alive. You're so good. Do you know how many rich and successful people by the world standards are miserable and lonely and depressed and full of spite and anger? How much better is Jesus when he begins to change our heart and we just just yield to him? We walk with him. That's what he wants to give us. His joy is so much better than anything this world has to offer. So, our initial question. What is God working on? There are two answers just to sum things up. One, first of all, what is he working on? Each of us. He is the gardener who's working to, to prune or clean our lives. That as we learn to more and more put Christ at the center, and he wants to build in those qualities of the Holy Spirit so that we reflect more and more Jesus Christ in our life. So that that we're the fruit that, that is being enjoyed by others. And we're the fruit that contains seeds that are, are, that are, you know, joy is far more attractive than anything else the church has to offer. Right? If people can experience joy when they check out church, they're like, I want that. That's, that's the most attractive thing we have, I believe, to offer the world. Um, they don't know what they're looking for. But may joy reign in our hearts. And so the first answer then leads us as he works on us and these seeds are spread as the fruit grows, the vineyard grows. So the second thing God is working on, he's working on building a vineyard, a people who are connected to him 
and bearing his fruit so that the whole world can see his righteousness and goodness. That we are designed to to reflect what he is to everybody else. And so our desire is that God would build his kingdom here in our midst. And that as he is at work in us, that our, our joy would overflow in our lives to those around us. And that through that, we might have opportunities to invite others in, to, to join us, to, be, to get connected to the vine themselves. And that the Holy Spirit would, would be born in new lives. That's our, our request. And we're going to sing a song of the worship team. I, I think it's maybe one you've shared before, but it's just inviting God, build your kingdom here. Work in us. Bring to us this very thing that, that we're seeking. And so, God, we, we ask as we get ready to sing, build your kingdom through East Glenville as we walk with Jesus, as we connect and remain connected to the vine. We ask you to be at work within us. In Christ's name, amen. amen. So let's stand as we sing this closing song. It may be new to some of you, but listen in, ponder these words, and then join in as you're able. Thank you.